Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Harvard is stopping a years-long misinformation fighting program. The person in charge of it is an outspoken skeptic of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Representative James Comer wants answers from John Kerry. He says the special presidential envoy for climate is showing disregard for U.S. national security in climate negotiations with the CCP. A suspected Chinese spy balloon found over the U.S. The Pentagon says it isn't able to see anything that Chinese satellites can't already see. So what's its purpose? The U.S. House condemns the horrors of socialism, but not unanimously. We hear why some refuse to decry the ideology and what a freedom activist who was born in a socialist country has to say about it. Harvard is shutting down a misinformation research program. An internal email reportedly says that's due to bureaucratic reasons. Harvard's Kennedy School of Government announced on Thursday that it's shutting down its misinformation research program. The program studies misinformation online and had been running for several years. News outlet Semaphore obtained an internal letter saying the program is being shut down because the person leading it is not a full faculty member. The outlet describes this as a shutdown due to bureaucratic reasons. The Kennedy School's standing policy is that all research projects must be led by a full faculty member. While there can be limited exceptions, those can't continue indefinitely without a faculty member as the principal project leader and academic head. The letter goes on to say that Dr. Joan Donovan, who was leading the program, is not a full faculty member. This indicates that Harvard has parted ways with Dr. Donovan. She has been outspoken about her skepticism of the Hunter Biden laptop story, even after the New York Times and other outlets verified the story. She tweeted this in April of 2022, saying, Looking at the content on the Hunter Biden laptop, the most popular straw man question at Disinfo 2022. Her departure comes as a lawyer for Hunter Biden this week for the first time seems to have confirmed that the infamous laptop really belonged to Hunter, although the lawyer tried to change people's perceptions of his statements later. However, Donovan's supporters are criticizing Harvard's move. Taylor Lorenz of the Washington Post tweeted, This is absolutely horrible news. This team was doing essential work, demystifying the way bad actors manipulate the Internet. The internal email reportedly says that two similar projects regarding misinformation online would remain at Harvard. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is demanding information from John Kerry over his negotiations with the Chinese Communist Party as a climate envoy. Comer is also accusing Kerry of not handing over information related to his National Security Council role. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. John Kerry is the Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, or SPEC. Comer accuses Kerry of engaging in activities that could undermine the nation's economic health, skirt congressional authority, and threaten foreign policy under the guise of climate advocacy. The congressman is calling for documents and information to understand Kerry's role. During last year's World Economic Forum in Davos, Kerry said the United States was making progress with China on climate issues. Here's Kerry on Bloomberg. We're hoping we can work with China to encourage China in certain things that we think would make a difference. The climate envoy said, quote, maybe we can help with technology of some kind to help China move faster. Maybe China could help us better understand some things we could do better. At last month's World Economic Forum, Kerry said that the key to combating global warming is, quote, money, 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 money. 
The biggest frustration right now with respect to moving rapidly on the, in dealing with the climate crisis is the lack of available concessionary funding. Colmer strongly criticized those statements. He said, quote, as a member of the president's cabinet, you should be representing the United States' interests. Your statements, however, consistently show disregard for American national security and taxpayer dollars. Comer is also accusing Kerry of downplaying China's human rights violations. In April 2021, Kerry said, quote, We have differences on human rights, but those differences do not have to get in the way of something that is as critical as dealing with climate. Comer says Kerry has until February 16th to comply with his panel's document request. He is asking for budgets, an employee list, and all communications between the SPEC office and environmental advocacy groups or foreign government officials. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD reached out to Kerry's office for a reaction. A State Department spokesperson responded, saying the department does not comment on congressional inquiries. The spokesperson added that the Office of the Special Presidential Envoy for Climate has and will continue to engage members of Congress on international efforts to combat the climate crisis. A suspected Chinese spy balloon has been spotted over the U.S. Pentagon officials say they've been tracking it for several days now. It's believed the craft floated in from Canada before crossing airspace over Montana. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. F-22 fighter jets were launched when the balloon was detected over Montana. Senior military leaders advised President Biden not to shoot it down. A senior defense official cautioned that the balloon is big enough to cause debris damage to those on the ground. The official says the balloon's current flight path carries it over a number of sensitive sites. He didn't go into detail into what those sites were. Montana is home to Malmstrom Air Force Base, which houses 150 intercontinental ballistic missile silos. It's possible that's what the surveillance balloon was trying to get a closer look at. But the Pentagon says the balloon doesn't have significant value above what Chinese spy satellites already have for intelligence gathering. The Pentagon press secretary says the military has taken measures to conceal any sensitive information that could be spotted from such a craft. Retired U.S. Air Force General Philip Breelove noted the timing of the incident and questioned what the balloon was carrying or trying to sense and collect. When you get a big package like this that can carry a lot of kit, it's concerning to know what they're actually after. Breelove suggested the possibility of the Chinese regime trying to provoke a preemptive response. If we shoot down a Chinese uh, object over our airspace, um, is that a precedent that we can live with? Would we then set a precedent whereby we think we're flying in international space near China, but they believe it's Chinese airspace and they take the same action that we did? The incident comes at a time of heightened tensions between China and the U.S. And just days before Secretary of State Antony Blinken plans to travel to Beijing. It's pretty clear uh, that uh, China and Xi uh, have obviously been a lot more aggressive uh, about uh, their military presence, uh, South China Sea, their threats on Taiwan. The Pentagon has reportedly engaged Chinese officials through multiple channels and communicated the seriousness of the matter. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has decided to postpone his visit to China. According to reports, Blinken doesn't want the balloon to dominate his talks with Chinese officials. 
For a response from Canada, the country is coordinating with the U.S. to track the surveillance balloon. Meanwhile, Canada says it's also monitoring a potential second incident without giving further details. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle called for action to address the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has requested a classified Gang of Eight briefing for congressional leaders. Staying on China, a House subcommittee on energy and commerce held a hearing yesterday. Chairperson Kathy Rogers says China seeks to undermine the U.S. in a range of advanced communications technologies, including satellite technology. She says the CCP will do whatever it takes to embed their authoritarianism into those types of next-generation technologies. The chairperson added that China spies on its citizens and asserts strict government control over businesses and the economy. According to Rogers, China wants to replace the U.S. as the economic and technological power so they can spread their values and vision of the future. She concluded by saying that the U.S. must adapt the regulatory environment to make sure America is winning the future and beating China. Some common ground on Capitol Hill. House lawmakers agreed socialism is bad. A majority of Democrats agree, but not all. We hear some analysis on this from a Venezuelan freedom activist and economist. Since moving to America, he has dedicated himself to explaining how socialism destroyed his homeland. Joining us now is Daniel DiMartino, founder of the Dissident Project and fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Thank you for making the time today, Daniel. Thank you, Kevin. The House of Representatives just passed a resolution condemning the horrors of socialism. It had bipartisan support with over 100 Democrats joining all Republicans to pass it. How important is this resolution in your view? Well, I think that there's two ways to look at the the passing of this resolution. One is that, you know, over 75% of members of the House of Representatives voted to condemn the deadly ideology, and that's a good thing, you know? Most Democrats voted for it. But the other way to look at this is that nearly half of all Democrats in the House voted against condemning an ideology that has killed over 100 million people, that forced me and my family to flee our country of Venezuela, that's forced 7 million other people to leave Venezuela. And that's what's concerning, because it's what's happening in the House is reflecting what's happening in the country. And what's happening in the country is that American kids do not know what's happened in socialist countries. They think because of what politicians tell them that socialism means Denmark, when socialism really means Venezuela. Yes, and I do want to talk about the people who voted against it. For example, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, a Democrat from Washington and the chair of the Progressive Caucus, spoke to Axios about this. She said Republicans were going to use the resolution against them and that it blends historical despots with modern entitlement programs and Nordic social democracies, citing what she called successful welfare programs. What's your reaction to this? Well, uh, what my reaction would be that if what Democrats wanted, like like her, was just a large welfare state, then they, they would be voting for the policies of Denmark. You know, they would be voting for school choice. They would be voting for lower corporate taxes. They would be voting for uh, you know very high sales taxes because that's how those countries finance those entitlement programs. They don't finance them by taxing the rich. They finance them by balancing their budgets, taxing everybody at a very high rate. And so what my concern is that what we're being sold by these politicians is 
the entitlement programs without the way to finance them. And that's exactly what bankrupted Venezuela. That's how Chavez destroyed our economy. He promised us all of these castles and unicorns. And what happened was that there was no way to pay for it. We printed money, we had hyperinflation, and then we all became poor. So yes, that is socialism. Thank you for helping us draw the distinction here in terms of these finances. Representative Maria Salazar is from a district in Florida that is the world capital of refugees fleeing socialist systems of Venezuela and other countries in that part of the world. She said the resolution was important because, quote, 44% of Americans believe the Communist Manifesto is better than the Declaration of Independence. Do you have any indication why that is the case? Well, the, there, there's been several polls about this by USA Today, YouGov, the Victims of Communism Foundation. And what we see is that especially the younger generation is very much uh, unaware of what the Declaration of Independence says. Um, and they are very much being taught that socialism simply means equality and that therefore equality is a good thing. When, when that's not what, what really is. I think that if young people were actually being taught nowadays what the Declaration of Independence was about, equality under the law, and how socialism is actually equality of result, they would see that actually socialism isn't even good in theory. Nobody wants equality of result. We want equality of, of uh, under the law, and we want more opportunities for everybody, but we do not want a system where people, regardless of their effort, regardless of their education, and even regardless of their ability, achieve the same, the same things in life. Not everybody wants the same things either. Delving into the mechanics of these philosophies, Daniel DiMartino, founder of the Dissident Project and fellow at the Manhattan Institute, it is great hearing from you today. Thank you. Is the COVID vaccine affecting women's reproductive health? That's what the latest Project Veritas video with an alleged Pfizer executive explores. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. The Veritas journalist asked alleged Pfizer executive Jordan Tristan Walker about vaccine injuries and liability. They then discussed problems observed with menstrual cycles. Irregular about their menstrual cycles, so people have to investigate that that one. Yeah, well, because that is a little concerning. Because like, if you think about the science, like it shouldn't be interacting, interacting with like you know the uh, it's called like the hypo, uh, hypothalamus pituitary gonadal axis. Right. Like you know the hormones are like their menstrual cycles and like that. And the vaccine shouldn't be interfering with that. So we don't really. The journalist points out that Walker is a urologist, so he should understand what's going on. Walker says that's why he understands that it's weird. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, and we don't discover something really bad. Do that one. I hope we don't find out that like there's somehow this mRNA like lingers in the body and then it, like has because what it has to be impacting something hormonal to impact menstrual cycles. Right. So somehow the vaccine must be interacting with like the axis signal, the HPG axis, to cause these changes in menstrual cycles. The HPG axis refers to the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and gonadal glands. It controls development, reproduction, and aging. So the HPG axis is why the fertility problems are happening. Yeah, because they control the cycles. So like, if it's like impacting that, it must be impacting these hormones okay. somehow. But then we can figure out like how are they finding hormones? Because like the signaling sucks in like the brain, right? Dr. Robert Malone says that variations in menstrual cycles and the onset of menses in postmenopausal women are troubling. All these things are pointers that there's something going wrong with the ovaries because the ovaries drive menstruation. Dr. Stephanie Seneff also weighs in. In a study that actually traced where does the RNA go, they found the, among the organs, they found the highest level in the spleen. And then among women, they found second highest level in the ovaries. 
which is very problematic for pregnancy. According to clinical trials, COVID-19 vaccines are reportedly unlikely to impact fertility in the long term. Walker says that looking forward, Pfizer is developing the mRNA technology for, quote, a whole list of things. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Up next, a member of Congress wants to have a famous statue of President Abraham Lincoln removed, even though the statue was paid for by freed slaves. We have that and more just after this break. In Washington, D.C., a statue of President Abraham Lincoln has stood near the Capitol since 1876. A Democratic Congress member is now trying to remove the statue known as the Emancipation Memorial. The statue depicts a slave, shackles, broken and shirtless, about to stand up. Lincoln stretches out his hand over the man. Freed slaves paid to create this statue. D.C.'s non-voting congressional delegate Eleanor Norton reintroduced a bill to have the statue removed from Lincoln Park. She said, quote, the paternalistic statue depicting a black man on his knees in front of President Lincoln fails to recognize African-Americans' agency in pressing for their own emancipation. New Jersey Councilwoman Eunice Jumfor was shot multiple times in an SUV parked outside her home. Police have yet to establish a motive in Wednesday's shooting. There were shell casings everywhere. They were telling me I couldn't park down here. The 30-year-old Republican was elected to her first three-year term in 2021, ousting the Democratic incumbent. She worked as a business analyst and part-time emergency medical technician. She had a 12-year-old daughter and was recently married. She's a very nice woman. She's always well-dressed. She's nice to everyone. She's kind, respectful. Colleagues recalled her as a soft-spoken, devout Christian who could maintain her composure in contentious situations. She's beautiful. She doesn't do no harm to anybody, literally. She's a sweetheart. Like, we'll see her coming down the stairwell sometimes. Several high-ranking state leaders issued statements expressing their grief over her death. Authorities have not arrested anyone for the shooting, nor released the names of any suspects, nor given a possible motive for the attack. An Iowa woman was mistakenly pronounced dead and put into a body bag before funeral home workers found her gasping for air and called 911. The 66-year-old woman was at an Alzheimer's care facility and then in a hospice where staff thought she died on January 3rd. She was then sent to a funeral home, but funeral home workers found her chest moving after unzipping the body bag. When first responders arrived, they discovered a pulse and breath. She was returned to the hospice, where she died two days later in her family's presence. The hospice could face up to $10,000 in fines. Turning to California, about 130 victims of human trafficking were rescued and nearly 370 people arrested over the past week. Those are the numbers from a week-long multi-agency task force. Operation Reclaim and Rebuild was conducted in the last week of January in nine counties. The ages of victims range from 13 to 52, including six children. Investigators responded to various advertisements offering sexual services and went to massage parlors suspected of being involved in trafficking. LAPD Chief Michael Moore says victims are being exploited by threats of death, coercion, or threats against their family. Some are also kidnapped and isolated to become dependent on traffickers. 
Recent snowstorms in the California mountains have given a major boost to the state's water supply, and this may be the state's wettest season on record. But officials say it's too soon to tell whether the trend will continue. Here's Entity's Cost Temines with more. Water content in California's mountain snow currently sits at around 200% of its average. This according to measurements taken by the California Department of Water Resources, or DWR. So for our survey today, we recorded a snow depth of 85.5 inches and a snow water content of 33.5 inches. That results in 193% of average to date and 137% of the April 1 average here at this location. Historically, one-third of California's water supply has come from melting snow. This winter's massive snowpack is the result of nine atmospheric rivers that lasted from late December through mid-January, which provided the state with 32 trillion gallons of rain and snow. According to the U.S. Drought Monitor, most of California, however, remains in moderate to severe drought following last year's heat waves. The DWR says that a traditionally wet February is actually starting off pretty dry. The forecast for dryness is set to continue. So when we think about drought and when we think about, you know, does this big, um, does our big January actually bust the drought in California? It's too soon to tell. According to the DWR, there's a lot more that needs to play out over the course of the next several months to really capture California's full water supply picture. Cost MNS. NTD News. A Las Vegas police officer managed to save a man from a car just before it caught fire. His body camera captured the close call. Come here. Come on. Come, Come here. here. I will see you. Here. Come here. Drag him. Drag him. The officer can be heard saying, drag him, drag him. A blazing fire engulfed the vehicle the moment the driver was pulled to safety. After the narrow escape, the driver was still sitting on the ground in fear. Another surveillance camera captured the entire dramatic scene from a wider angle. Footage shows smoke coming from a white car as it pulled over in the middle of the road. The driver was taken to the hospital and is expected to make a full recovery. And just ahead, in the Indo-Pacific, alliances with the U.S. are strengthening. The Philippines has granted U.S. access to four military bases. And in South Korea, a former justice minister has been sentenced to two years in prison for corruption. He was a key aide to former President Moon Jae-in. We'll have the details soon when we return. A new COVID-19 subvariant is causing concern. It may be more deadly than the Delta variant and resistant to current vaccines. And today's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. The CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, is still mutating. The U.S. and China are now closely tracking Orthrus, an emerging more transmissible COVID-19 variant. Officially called CH1.1, the Omicron spawn would leave America's most dominant virus called Kraken behind. China reported 24 Orthrus virus cases in the past three months. Chinese officials say there is a risk of reinfection, but insist its population has immunity against it. 
Orthrus has raised global concern. That's because it carries a mutation that's not usually seen in Omicron, but appeared in the more deadly Delta variant. A U.S. study found Orthrus is also highly resistant to current vaccines. The emerging variant was first detected in India late last year. It's now present in 67 countries. Washington is securing a deal with its oldest Asian ally, the agreement to give the U.S. a front seat to monitor China. Yesterday, the Philippines agreed to grant U.S. forces access to four more of the country's military bases. To make sure that not an inch of our nation's territory will be lost and our people's safety and security will be ensured. The U.S. has stepped up efforts to expand its Indo-Pacific security options in recent months. Thursday's deal offers Washington a key bit of real estate to monitor Beijing's aggression, both in the South China Sea and around Taiwan. We discussed concrete actions to address destabilizing activities in the waters surrounding the Philippines, including the West Philippine Sea. And we remain committed to strengthening our mutual capacities to resist armed attack. That our longest partner and ally has been the United States. And as we traverse these uh, rather troubled waters, geopolitical waters, economic waters that we are facing, uh, I again uh, put great importance on that partnership. Increased access to military bases in the Philippines would potentially place U.S. armed forces fewer than 200 miles south of Taiwan. Beijing's communist regime claims the democratically ruled island as part of China's sovereign territory despite never having controlled it. On Thursday, China said the Philippines' move has, quote, escalated tension in the region and accused the U.S. of pursuing a cold war. With the new additions, the U.S. can now access nine Philippine military bases for training, building facilities, fuel storage and military housing, but cannot station a permanent presence there. The Thursday announcement didn't identify which bases would grant the U.S. military new access. Over in South Korea, a former justice minister has been sentenced to two years in prison for corruption. The disgraced former minister Cho Cook was a key aide to former President Moon Jae-in. Cho served as the justice minister briefly during the Moon administration in 2019. He resigned over the scandal and was indicted on a dozen charges in late 2019. A court convicted Cho today of falsifying documents to send his children to prestigious high schools and universities, as well as peddling influence to interfere with the corruption investigation. The court did not immediately imprison Cho. He has denied any wrongdoing and said he would appeal. In the northeastern Indian state of Assam, authorities have busted thousands of men suspected of marrying minors. The arrests also include priests who helped register these marriages. From yesterday, we started taking action on the basis of FIR that were registered in different districts. And till 3 o'clock this afternoon, we have arrested 2,044 people from different districts. Officials say it's the start of an ongoing crackdown on underage marriages. About two months ago, Assam's chief minister ordered police to track down those involved in such practices. Child marriage is seen as a major cause of child pregnancy, which in turn leads to higher maternal and infant mortality rates. 
Marriage under 18 is illegal in India, but many are openly flouting the law. The United Nations says India has the world's highest number of child brides. The figure exceeds 200 million. Every year, around 1.5 million underage girls are married there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, a Swiss newspaper claims the U.S. is offering Russia a secret peace plan. Find out what Kremlin and the White House are saying about it. And in France, unions have called for more protests and strikes against the government's plan to reform the pension system. It's raising pressure for President Macron, who faces strong opposition both in the street and in Parliament eight months into his second term. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Now turning our attention to the war in Ukraine, Russia is rejecting media reports that the U.S. is offering a secret peace plan. A Swiss newspaper first made the report. The Swiss newspaper said CIA Director William Burns had traveled to Russia with a secret peace proposal. The proposal involved Ukraine ceding a fifth of its territory to Russia. The newspaper said Burns made a secret trip to Moscow last month to put forward the plan on behalf of the White House. The Kremlin told reporters today, quote, that whole report is a hoax. Washington has also dismissed the reports. Loopholes are allowing countries to trade with Russia despite heavy sanctions. The Latvian prime minister pointed out the issue in a meeting with representatives from two other European Union countries. So if we look at uh, statistics, you see countries such as Kazakhstan, uh, countries such as Armenia, countries such as Turkey, where certain kinds of trade is going up very high, disproportionate to what it has been in the past, and it seems quite clearly that traders are finding ways to legally trade goods, say, with Turkey or with Kazakhstan or with Armenia, which are then re-sent to Russia because these countries are not adhering to the sanctions regime. The Latvian prime minister did not provide further evidence for the evasion claim and did not specify the types of goods allegedly traded. Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania are the European Union countries that were among the most vocal supporters of sanctioning Russia. Representatives of these countries met in the capital of Estonia. The Estonian prime minister said a total ban of trade with Russia should be considered. He also said Russia could escalate the war around the time of the anniversary of its start later this month to prove that it has gained something through its actions. The Lithuanian prime minister said despite whatever Russia is planning, countries still need to support Ukraine so it can win the war. Talking about the war in Ukraine, a weapons maker based in San Diego is offering to help. They're offering Ukraine two advanced Reaper drones for just one dollar. General Atomics is the maker of the Reaper MQ-9 drones. They can be used to gather intelligence, conduct surveillance, and also carry weapons. They usually cost millions of dollars each. The company says they believe Ukraine needs a capability like the Reaper. The deal would cost Ukraine about $10 million to transport the aircraft and another $8 million a year for maintenance. The White House has to approve the deal for it to go ahead. Freddie Verslice does not like to be called an arms dealer, but he does have a big warehouse full of second-hand tanks for sale. Here's more. In a warehouse in Belgium sit rows and rows of Leopard tanks. Not the Leopard 2 model donated by Western governments to Ukraine. This is an older model, the Leopard 1. Freddie Verslice wants to sell them, but does not like to be called an arms dealer. 
he is adamant, stressing to Reuters that he is the CEO of two defence companies that deal in a broad range of activities, such as making sensors for spacecraft. But buying and selling weapons is part of his business too. Yes, we bought this approximately eight uh, years ago in the market. They are available over here, but we cannot use them as is, of course. We need a full retrofit. We have to look at the fire control system. So we really have to make them, uh, bring them back to track so before we can use them in any kind of battlefield. It's these tanks that have brought him into the spotlight as he is engaged in a public battle with the Belgian government over the possibility of sending them to Ukraine. While Ukraine's allies have pledged to send tanks to help Ukraine repel Russia's invasion, Belgium has not joined the group, for one reason above all. It doesn't have any tanks left. It sold the last 50 it had to Vesles's company more than five years ago, and Belgian Defence Minister Ludovine Didonde is reluctant to buy them back. These tanks were sold for a price of 10,000 to 15,000 euros each, as they were no longer working. Nothing prevents us from buying them back, but they are not operational. And we're not going to buy them back at unreasonable prices either. And at the moment, there are Belgian companies that make a margin that is unreasonable. If Belgium does not buy back the tanks, Vesles says another country could purchase them for Kiev. Vesles said he had held discussions with several European governments about that option. There are governments on which we have, uh, let's say, currently in discussion. Yeah, uh, I just got a recently a, a call from the Ukraine government. There's also the UK government. We're talking to the Swedish government. So there's a lot of governments interested. But we'll have to see what happens now. Other European countries are busy transporting the tanks they do have. 20 M113 armored personnel carriers have arrived at a port in northern Spain. They're headed to Ukraine to help its defense effort after a stop in Latvia. The Spanish defense minister announced the armored vehicles would depart for Ukraine on Monday. Newspaper El País reported Spain also plans to send between four and six German-built Leopard 2A4 tanks to Ukraine. Sources told El País the actual number will depend on the condition of the battle tanks in storage and how many other countries will eventually supply Ukraine. Ukraine's foreign minister says they expect to receive 120 to 140 Western tanks from a coalition of 12 countries in a first wave. Staying in Europe, the Netherlands and Germany are taking efforts to integrate their armies. This amid instability in the region after the war started in Ukraine. The Netherlands' 13th Light Brigade will merge into Germany's 10th Panzer Division. The Dutch Brigade has 3,000 troops. The Netherlands has already merged the rest of their combat brigades into the German army. The combined force will consist of around 50,000 service members, including 8,000 from the Netherlands. The Dutch government says the merger could happen as early as this April. The merger is part of a confidential agreement between the two countries signed last year. In France, unions are gaining momentum as more people mobilize against the government's pension reform plans. Polls say two-thirds of voters oppose the changes. The controversial reform is also seen as a political test for the French president, with opponents calling him a president of arrogance and contempt. Entities France correspondent David Vives has the story. The French government on Wednesday insisted that raising the retirement age to 64 was non-negotiable. The statement came one day after over 1.2 million French took to the streets in protest against the measure. That was more than at the previous demonstration 10 days earlier. Union's leaders have now called for rolling strikes to disrupt public life. 
Opinions polls show about two out of three French disagree with the reform. The protest poses a big challenge for Macron and his relationship to the people. Publisher Michel Onfray says that the French president has gained a reputation of being cynical. I think this government is absolutely cynical and will not move. Firstly, Emmanuel Macron was in Spain on the day of the strike. This is a very contemptuous way of saying, I don't give a damn about your strike. Remember, he said he wanted to annoy unvaccinated people. I don't want to use a dirty word. That was the word he used. A head of state who says, I want to annoy the French, this category of French people, who don't vote for him, it seems. The reform will be debated in Parliament from next week. As Macron's party is in the minority, the government will need support from Conservative members of Parliament to pass the bill. If this isn't the case, the government might use a constitutional decree called Article 49.3 to bypass Parliament and pass the bill. Called the nuclear option, the Prime Minister has already used this mechanism 10 times in Macron's second term. For some experts, including Onfray, the repeated use of the article goes against the will of Parliament and of the French people. Macron could say, I propose laws that are likely to be voted on by everyone. No, no, not at all. He says, I propose these laws. It's my position. I don't give a damn about France, but it's my position. It's my business. It's a European policy, and I propose that. Then the lawmakers say, no, we won't vote on this. To which he replies, it doesn't matter, I'll use Article 49.3, which means that he will overrule Parliament, which is not very democratic. Macron thinks that the people are at his service, that changes everything, and he knows very well that he governs against the people, without the people, and in spite of the people. Amid a cost-of-life crisis and high inflation, an even bigger protest could pose a new challenge for the French president. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. After 16 years on the run, one of Italy's most wanted mafia bosses was captured hiding in France as a pizza maker. Authorities say Edgardo Greco was part of the Calabria Mafia. He was sentenced in absentia for the murder of two brothers from a rival clan in the 1990s. While in France, he adopted the identity of Paolo Dimitrio. He was even featured in a local paper as an authentic Italian pizza maker. Police caught him Thursday in Saint-Étienne, France. He will likely be extradited to Italy. In the UK, British Gas has announced it will stop applying for court warrants to enter customers' homes to install prepayment meters. That follows reports they had been forced on vulnerable customers. A prepayment meter is like a pay-as-you-go phone. The customer must keep their account topped up or else their power will be shut off. The Times of London reported that British Gas sends debt collectors to break into people's homes and forcibly install the pay-as-you-go meters. Some of the vulnerable customers the Times reporter came across included a single father with three young children and a mother with a four-week-old baby. After the newspaper's article was published, British Gas owner Centrica announced it was suspending all warrant activity. The parent company will also launch an investigation into the claims. Energy regulator Ofgem called the allegations extremely serious. It said that it's unacceptable for any supplier to impose forced installations on vulnerable customers struggling to pay their bills before all other options have been exhausted. Tragedy hit the western German town of Recklinghausen after two children were apparently hit by a train along a railway line. 
One of them was killed and the other seriously injured and sent to the hospital. Police who were called to the scene searched the tracks with torches and drones. The Interior Minister of North Rhine-Westphalia, Herbert Royal, arrived and was seen being briefed about the situation. I am very affected by this. I was at an event. This is something that affects you, and when you know there's nothing you can do but think of wise words, it's horrible. Children and trains and such a young age, it's just horrible what happened here, and one can only hope the parents will have the strength to overcome this great misfortune, or there are lots of people who will help the parents. And naturally, our thoughts are with the child who's in hospital, so this will turn out well. Local media say the victims were dragged by a freight train for several hundred meters and the incident happened near a former freight yard. Authorities have yet to disclose the gender and age of the victims. And still to come, Roman sewer workers uncovered a special discovery, a statue of an ancient emperor posing as Hercules. Archaeologists say it's a rare find. And the Sea of Galilee is shrinking and protracted droughts jeopardize Israel's water supply. Find out how the country is replenishing the reservoir and more when we return. Welcome back. Turning to Spain, a proposed animal treatment law is exposing divisions within the ruling Socialist Party's electoral base. Some warn that the legislation could outlaw hunting with dogs. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the controversial bill. Spain is debating a proposed animal welfare law. It would overhaul the treatment of domesticated and wild animals in captivity. The draft includes things like banning the sale of pets in shops, converting zoos into wildlife centers, imprisoning abusers, and requiring palliative care. The Socialist Party in power was forced to backpedal last month after an outcry in rural areas. We are the ones who want to comply with all the regulations that are imposed on us. There is no problem. But it is also clear that we do not want them to end our hobbies and our way of life not only with the greyhounds, but also with the way of life of the rural world. The Royal Spanish Hunting Federation represents more than 300,000 hunters. The organization argues that sections of the bill would effectively ban hunting. I'm a person who believes that it is necessary to fight against things that are not done well, but not with the eradication of the activity. I don't think anyone would legislate to avoid traffic accidents by prohibiting the driving of cars. The main cause of abandonment of greyhounds is the theft and the subsequent use for poaching. In Spain, dogs are used to track or catch animals such as deer, wild boar, and rabbits. The bill proposes that owners must train pets, including dogs, to avoid harming other animals. It also compels owners to acquire permits for breeding animals. Hunters and dog breeders say these provisions would be almost impossible for them to comply with. Dog breeder Zacharias Gallego is competing in hair coursing semifinals. He says the implementation of the law would mean crucial changes to the sport. The law is very extensive and there are a series of points that go against our sport. For example, the obligation to sterilize or neuter animals. These dogs, mine for example, have been bred for 30 years, raised at her grandmother's and great-grandmother's house. They're dogs with an exceptional genealogy, and now what are we going to do? Do we sterilize them? Fearing electoral backlash, the socialists submitted a last-minute amendment. 
The measure excludes hunting dogs and other animals involved in traditional rural activities. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. In the Italian capital, an ancient statue was unearthed during a sewer repair project. Archaeologists say it may depict a Roman emperor posing as Hercules. A life-size statue emerged. As workers were repairing a sewer line near the Appian Way, the first highway in ancient Rome. Work on the demolition of the bottom of the sewer was going on. When in front of the archaeologist who was supervising the work, the face of this character emerged which were then immediately identified as a character dressed as Hercules. The marble sculpture showed a Hercules-like figure with the hero's trademark lion skin and club. The frown lines on his forehead are a typical depiction of emperors from the 3rd century, a time when the Roman Empire was in deep crisis. It was exciting to find, for example, the claws of the lion's paws to look at the fur, to cling from the dust, what remains of the lion's draws and to discover all the details. An archaeologist says the sculpture resembles Emperor Decius, who ruled Rome around 250 AD. She added, it's quite rare to find a Roman leader portrayed as Hercules. From the first findings we have had with the official portraiture of the emperors, because a character who is depicted as a demigod is certainly going to among the most important personalities of the Roman state. We have identified a number of similarities with official features of the Emperor Decius Trajan, who reigned between 249 and 251 AD. Decius was the first Roman Empire to die in battle, fighting the Goths in modern-day Bulgaria. He was also behind the first organized persecution of Christians. The statue was broken into several pieces and is currently being cleaned and restored. Once repaired, the statue is expected to be placed on public display. Israel is transporting water from the Mediterranean to replenish its main reservoir. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the series of plants across the country that keep the water flowing. When these floodgates are open, water rushes into a dry riverbed and races to the Sea of Galilee. The biblical lake in northern Israel was drying up due to drought and a growing population. Water from the Mediterranean Sea is desalinated and transported across the country. If the lake starts to shrink again, there's water to replenish it. The, all the uh, extra water that they are producing, we will be able to bring it with the National Water Carrier System up north and into the Sea of Galilee, into the Kinneret. The Sea of Galilee is Israel's main reservoir and a big tourist destination. But receding shorelines over the last decade have caused alarm. So Israel built a chain of desalination plants along its Mediterranean coast. We are no longer depending on rain basically for water supply because we know to manage the system uh, and take the, the, the extra water, the extra water produced uh, uh, artificially with desalination plants and bring it to fill the natural lake if needed. Israel agreed to supply neighboring Jordan with 26 billion gallons of potable water a year. But both countries continue to accuse each other of mismanaging their shared and connected rivers. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, an uplifting show of dance and music. Audience members say it's inspiring and life-changing. We'll bring you their reactions firsthand after the break.
Chen Yun Performing Arts is touring around the world. Here in the States, many enjoy the beauty of the dance and the traditional Chinese culture that Chen Yun portrays. It was spectacular. It was so life-changing and just incredible and enlightening. Uh, I just find it amazing. The colors, the music, the orchestra and how it all plays in together, the video format in the background and how it comes into the stage. Uh, that was very surprising when I first seen that. It really adds to the show. Oh, I think they're brilliant. Yes, their, their energy, their, their, their acumen, uh, they're beautiful, the costumes are beautiful, the sets are beautiful. Uh, it really puts into perspective the history and culture of the real, what I call the real China, the China before 1949. Shen Yun showcases China's 5,000 years of divinely inspired culture from before communism. I think we need to understand what China really is. And uh, we hear all kinds of things here in the U.S. and maybe around the world about the evils of communism and this and that and this and that. But we lose the actual cultural perspective. Everything they do to keep this culture alive and the tradition of this dance and, and the way the music's incorporated in. So you look back over 5,000 years of tradition being brought forward this much is amazing. Many felt hopeful after the performance. Towards the end, having um, it felt like the symbol of hope, the kids in yellow and blue symbolizing what the world can be. There is something greater than ourselves. There is, a, there is an eternal divine being um, and that one day he's coming back and we want to be ready. Shen Yun is now performing in three cities, Sacramento, Nashville, and San Antonio. There are a diversity of microbes living inside of you. You need to eat healthy food in order to feed them properly. This is not only critical to gut health, but also colon health. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Colon health is a real concern no matter who you are. A few small decisions each day can reduce the risk of colon-related illnesses. Let's start by thinking about how often you hear about gut health. But guess what? Gut health is practically synonymous with colon health. You have roughly 40 trillion bacteria residing in your body. The majority of them stay in your intestines, but the ones that live in your colon can have a massive impact on the risk of colon-related disease. But the good news is, is that you have the power over which types of bacteria take up residence. Generally speaking, a diverse array is healthy. There is a genetic component to your microbiota, that's your gut population, but you can manipulate it with food choices. The more diverse a person's diet, the more diverse and healthier their gut bacterial population. So what does a diverse diet look like? Certainly not like the standard American diet, which consists mainly of junk food and takeout. In other words, sugary foods and refined white wheat flour products must go. These are often loaded with toxic seed oils. Examples include canola, corn, cottonseed, soy, sunflower, safflower, grapeseed and rice bran. Sugar and grease can sabotage colon health. Instead, you'll want to build your diet around fiber-rich foods. These feed healthy bacteria so they can grow and breed. Known as prebiotics, these foods can make a huge impact on colon health. 
So next time you are reaching for a snack or building a meal, try colorful fruits and veggies. Some great prebiotic foods include blueberries, artichokes, whole grains, broccoli, beans, lentils, leafy greens, and potatoes. Although potatoes are not particularly high fiber when peeled, they do feature resistant starch, which can feed healthy gut bacteria. From Mission Impossible to Miracle on Ice, that's how the coach of the Ukrainian peewee hockey team described the team's unlikely arrival in Quebec. The group of 11 and 12-year-old boys were all smiles after they touched down in Montreal. They were given a tour of the Videotron Center in Quebec City, where the Quebec International Peewee Hockey Tournament will be played. Canadian outlet CBC reported that the idea for the team's trip began when the coach met with his former teammate, who's now Canadian. But the logistical challenges of securing visas and setting up the trip to Canada proved daunting. The 18 young Ukrainian players are staying with nine volunteer host families during their three weeks abroad. The coach said that the trip is a welcome distraction from the war back home, but that it's hard for them to forget, as many have fathers who are fighting. Take a look at the world's oldest dog ever. As of today, Bobby is 30 years and 268 days old. He's lived his entire life with a family in a rural village in Portugal. Dogs like Bobby usually live about 12 to 14 years. But this purebred livestock guardian dog has beaten all the odds. In fact, when he was born, the family decided to get rid of the litter of four pups because they had already had too many dogs. But Bobby mistakenly got left behind. An incredible record, a German citizen manages to make 14 dogs walk in a conga line. Guinness World Records certified the feat. Footage shows dogs standing in line from large to small with their front limbs resting on each other's shoulders. The trainer was at the front giving instructions. He kept calling their names while making hand signals. Surprisingly, all the dogs formed a line in less than 30 seconds. The team moved slowly forward, but not a single dog dropped its paws. This dog trainer isn't the first record setter in the family. Last February, his 12-year-old daughter Alexa was the first to achieve it, leading eight dogs. Like her father, she guided the dogs to balance their front limbs on the one in front of them. To complete the Guinness Challenge, these dogs need to move at least five meters while holding the pose. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.